Well, good evening, everybody. It is so good to see all of you here on campus. Welcome. Glad to see you on a Wednesday night. Uh, those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, you are welcome. We are glad you are a part of our service tonight. To begin, I just have one quick reminder in terms of our announcements and church schedule. Uh, gentlemen, remember men's conference in Tioga. That takes place very soon. Uh, April 27th through 29th uh, is men's conference in Tioga. So if you can go, men, and be a part of that, you will be blessed. Put that on your calendar and make plans to attend. Amen. Amen. And that's it. That's it. Just I will just say it's not on my announcements, but don't forget the service Sunday. We want to come and have a wonderful time uh, in the Lord on Sunday as we always do. On the way to church this evening, um, Elena played a song for us, uh, one I had never heard before, or if I have, I don't remember it. And the words just said, I could never grow tired of telling you you're worthy. Of course, a worship song talking to God. I could never grow tired of telling you you're worthy. And those words really spoke to me. They really struck me. Um, and I hope that's our feeling tonight. I hope that's our prayer. You know, coming out of Easter, coming out of uh, all that we talked about this past weekend, beginning at Good Friday on through Resurrection Sunday, God is worthy. God is worthy. And we owe him the very breath in our lungs. We owe him our life. We definitely owe him our worship. And I could never get tired of doing that. I hope you feel the same way. With that in mind, I'm going to ask you to stand tonight, and we're going to pray over the service, of course, pray for uh, the ministry of the word here, pray for uh, kids' church that is going on simultaneously. But while we're doing that, I want to just spend some time letting God know how worthy he is, how much he means in my life, and how much he means in your life. Could we do that together all over the building? Just take a moment and worship him. Jesus, we enter in with worship, with thanksgiving, with praise. Lord, I don't ever want to take it for granted. I don't want to ever take your presence for granted. Lord, you are worthy in my life. God, and I want my mind to bring you worship. I want my mouth to bring you worship. I want my lifestyle to bring you worship, oh God, and let you know every minute of every day how worthy you really are. God, we worship you tonight. God, we praise you tonight. I pray, God, you would anoint us tonight uh, with the Holy Ghost. Lord, as the word goes forth, Lord, change our hearts. Change our lives. Wash us with the water of the word. Anoint kids' ministry tonight, our children, as they're ministered to by the word. And we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. As pastor comes to teach the word tonight, would you clap your hands to the Lord and just shout with a voice of triumph. God bless you tonight. God, you're worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Great to see everybody here tonight, and thank you so very much for coming. And uh, great to see all of you. Look at your neighbor and tell them it's great to see you. Thank the Lord, even if it's your spouse. Great to see you. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, how about Sunday, everybody? Uh, wonderful, wonderful time. That's right. Let's give the Lord some thanksgiving for a great time Sunday. Thank the Lord. And uh, uh, I appreciate and I'm very thankful for our concierge, our lobby staff that does such a great job. Um, 
keeping track of everything, uh, being so kind and friendly out in the lobby. Uh, I noticed they're out there tonight uh, doing such a great job, and uh, but really appreciated them Sunday. Uh, we had 243 on campus this past Sunday, and for that I'm very thankful. Thank the Lord. Um, I will tell you here tonight, those of you that have been at Grace Church for a number of years, and most of you have, if you'll remember just months before COVID hit, um, we were in the 230s and two, 240 mark. I remember one Sunday we had 245, and it was just a, a regular Sunday. It wasn't Easter. We need to get back there. Thank the Lord. And um, the building was comfortably full. I was talking to various people about how can we expand and get more room, more chairs. Even talked about adding on to the sanctuary. We need to get back there. And you know what? We're on our way. We're on our way. And I believe that tonight with all of my heart. But Sunday was amazing. I want to thank our, our music team, our praise team, doing such an amazing job. Our young people did a phenomenal job Sunday, uh, just all the way around. Uh, thought the building was beautiful Sunday. And um, I've heard a lot of wonderful, wonderful comments, a lot of guests here Sunday. And uh, I've been just been in the afterglow of that, if you will, uh, all week long. And it's kind of inspired me for tonight. Uh, to preach again, this preaching thing on Wednesday night is having more of an impact than perhaps I thought it would, but uh, people keep saying, yeah, keep it going, keep it going, and uh, so we're going to keep it going, and I feel like that's what God wants us to do, so, um, but very thankful for all of our staff Sunday did a great job, and um, looking forward to <clears throat> seeing what God has for us in the future. And everybody say amen. Great crowd here tonight. Thank you all for being here. And uh, I want to salute our JV team. Uh, Sandy has done a great job. As most of you know, she will uh, be having their third child uh, here pretty soon. And so she's kind of training some, some of our JV students to uh, kind of take over kids' church in her absence while she's having the, her, her baby and uh, her and Ryan's and um, so that's where some of our JVers are tonight, and I'm excited about that, uh, that they're giving back. They sang Sunday. They're giving back in kids' church. They're old enough to give back. God knows we've poured a lot into them. It's time to start giving some of that back, right? That is not the response that I was looking for out of all of you. But anyway, but they're on board. They're on board. Love them all dearly. I want to read tonight from Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning with verse 31. The Bible said, And they came unto thee, people who said they were Christians, to use our terminology, came unto thee, God, as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them, for with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goes after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. 
For they hear words, but they do them not. And when this comes to pass, lo, it will come, then they shall know that a prophet has been among them. I want to speak to you for a few minutes tonight. Uh, Y'all remember our hashtag, we're coming. Y'all remember that? Uh, The first time I introduced that is, I'm coming, we're coming, he's coming. Tonight I want to introduce another hashtag, and I want it's the title of this message tonight. Hashtag, no turning back. We've come too far to turn back now. Everybody said amen. I'm excited about this. Thank the Lord. Years ago, and I can truthfully say years ago, I actually heard one of our young people who was in that 16, 15, 16-year-old range told me a story about themselves that happened years ago. How many, two? You have reached that old-timer stage right there. You could be a part of the, our overcomers group. I got a chuckle out of that. But truly, years ago, uh, I would, I guess Sister Murph and I were just married. We both sang in the adult choir at the Baton Rouge Church, uh, First Pentecostal Church of Baton Rouge. And back then, we sang a song, and I remember it very well, and I hum it, sing it in my head very often since I can't get anyone in this church to ask me to sing a solo I just sing to myself and I'm dealing with the hurt and the neglect and the rejection I just deal with it every day anyway the choir sang a song back then that says no turning back I've come too far for that I'm staking my claim in Jesus holy name and when I need a hand On Christ the solid rock I stand, no turning back, no turning back for me. The man that sang the solo in that song and and the lead part, he would say, no turning back. The choir would go, no turning back. He would go, I've come too far for that. I'm staking my claim. The choir, I'm staking my claim. It's where they repeat each other, half the song. The man that sang that, I remember Uh, Just several months after he sang the solo of that song, I only remember singing it once. The man that sang the solo got his feelings hurt over something and turned his back on God. I will ask you tonight, whatever happened to commitment? Why do you suppose that there are close to 100 million church members in America, yet they are not making more of a moral or spiritual impact in our country? Why is that? On Sunday morning, that thousands of churches have more empty seats than full. Why is it that the average Sunday school attendance in America has less than 66 in attendance and the average worship service is only attended by 84 people? Why is it that only 50% of the number on any church membership roll can be expected to attend on any given Sunday. Grace Church averages between 60 and 65% attendance uh, of our total church roll. If Christians really believe in a real heaven and a real hell, why, how can we then be so silent? The answer to all these questions is tragically simple. 
God's people have made a decision about Jesus but have not made a commitment to him. We're living, we are living in a generation of shallowness. No offense to anyone, but we are living in a generation of shallowness. Our text tells us about people that had no deep affection for God. They had a shallowness of sentimental hearing. There is, of course, a difference between a decision and a commitment. Perhaps this can be seen clearer when you look at the failure rate of marriages in America. You all know this. According to statistics, at least 50% of all marriages will end in divorce. Why do you suppose that is happening? It is because these couples made a decision but did not make a commitment. Every person who married made a decision to be married. So why did they divorce? They stood before a preacher, they made promises, and they recited vows. They made a decision. They kissed each other and walked out together to live, but not necessarily happily ever after, and not necessarily together. So why did they divorce? The answer is that they made a decision. They did not truly commit their lives to each other. When I do pre-marriage counseling, one of the first things I tell the couple is you take the D word out of your vocabulary if you're planning to get married. There's no reason for divorce. Take the D word out. Be faithful to your spouse. But again, the answer is that people make a decision to get married, but they do not truly commit their lives to each other. But when a couple marries, a commitment to one another gives a different story. We live in a very shallow society. People make a shallow decision to marry. The same is true in the church. The reason that the church is not making more of an impact in our society is that many church members made a decision about Christ but have not made a commitment to Christ. When the pilot of a giant airline is speeding down the runway, there's a certain point where it's staying on the ground is no longer an option. When he crosses that line, and it's called the point of no return, I've heard this for years, there's a point of no return he reaches. Even though he is still on the ground, he is committed to the air. He will take off or a disastrous crash is imminent. At the point the pilot can no longer change his mind, he is committed. He has to take that airplane into the air. Unfortunately, churches are filled with members who've never gotten off the ground. They have been sitting there, gunning their engines, making noise, but getting nowhere. They've been planning on it, meaning to, wanting to, trying to, going to, aiming to, even hoping to. But the tragedy of tragedies is that they never get off the ground. A college man walked into a photography studio one time with a framed picture of his girlfriend. 
He wanted the picture duplicated. This involved removing it from the frame, and in doing this, the studio owner noticed the inscription on the back of the photograph. It said this, My dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever. I am yours for all eternity. It was signed, Helen. And it continued with a P.S. that if we ever break up, I want this photograph back. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. A shallow generation with no roots. In Luke chapter 6, verse 49, Jesus said, But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. A shallow generation without roots and without foundation. One time there was a man whose friend was in front of him leaving the church one day. The preacher was standing at the door as he always did, ready to shake hands with those that were leaving. And the pastor, this man said, the pastor grabbed my friend by the hand and pulled him aside and said to him, you need to join the army of the Lord. And he said, my friend replied to the pastor, I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. The pastor questioned, and how come I don't see you except Christmas and Easter? The man whispered back, because I'm in the secret service. In John chapter 6, Jesus therefore said, I unto thee that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. A shallow generation with the inability to receive the deeper message. I want to appeal to our youth group here tonight. A lot of you are moving into that age of high school and pretty soon it'll be college. There's no reason, there's no justification for ever turning your back on God. I'm preaching to you tonight, hashtag no turning back, no turning back. You dig your heels in the dirt. You may get offended. You may get your feelings hurt. And the world is going to do everything it can to throw everything at you it can. And the devil wants you to leave so bad he don't know what to do. But I need some young people tonight that's going to dig your heels in the dirt and say, you know what? I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to dig roots in. I'm going to build a foundation so that when my house is attacked, when my house goes through the storm it's going to stand no turning back folks there's no turning back we've come too far for that hallelujah a shallow generation with the inability to receive the deeper message in Ephesians 4 Paul said that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. A shallow 
generation that has no deep convictions. Paul said in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. No turning back. No turning back. We've come too far. We've come too far. A real commitment on any level of life is a prized commodity these days. And those who have experienced it knows how gratifying it can be to receive such loyalty. God is no different. God loves commitment. That's why he included Ruth's statement in the Bible. In these two short verses in the book of Ruth, She tells her mother-in-law, Naomi, I will never leave you. I won't turn away from you. I'll go where you go. I'll stay where you stay. And I'll die where you die. That's the definition of commitment. You often hear it repeated in some version at wedding ceremonies. But it don't last but a year or two, sometimes maybe four or five years. And then the bride and groom forget about that commitment and that promise. I want to assure you of this. When you make God a promise like that, he never forgets it. And when you make him a promise like that, he expects you to follow through with it. And he makes it easier to follow through with it because he'll fill you with a power of the Holy Ghost. And he made a bold statement in the Bible. He said, if I am for you, then who can be against you? He said in the word of God, he told Simon Peter, that I'll build my rock, my church on the rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm here to tell you tonight, if you turn back, it's not God's fault. If you turn back, you can't blame it on anybody else. But with God in your life, you can make it through anything. It's a kind of commitment that God admires. It's un- unqualified commitment. Proverbs 16, 3. The wise man said, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwells in us. I'm going to have to catch my breath for a moment. Because I need to be full of energy and full of zeal to tell you what my commitment has been through the years. I'll tell you what Sister Murphy's commitment has been through the years. And there's a host of people here tonight that will share my sentiment. Here's my commitment. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back. I won't let up. I'm not going to slow down. I'm not going to back away. No, I'm not going to be still. My past has been redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, 
sheep living and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be the top. I don't have to be recognized nor praised nor regarded nor rewarded. I now live by faith and live on His presence. I walk by patience. I live by prayer and I labor in power. I now lean on Him. I lean on Him. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I can't be bought. I can't be compromised. I won't be detoured. I won't be lured away. I won't be turned back. I won't be deluded. I won't be delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I'm a soldier in God's army. And I'm not secret service. And I'm not about to quit. I've come too far. Let me submit to Grace Church something God hates. God hates wishy-washiness. God is not a fan of ambivalence. He doesn't care for fence sitters. He isn't pleased with people who can't quite make up their mind, who are forever weighing their options, who can never settle on a course of action. God isn't calling us to act rashly without any thought to the consequences, but what he wants are people who will follow him with joyful abandon, without regret, and without looking back. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. He said unto another, and he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead. But go thus and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. And let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto them, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Adventurer Robert Young felt and was confronted with the price of commitment while fighting the war in Afghanistan. He said, When I was being shelled on the front line north of Kabul, I asked a 23-year-old Taliban fighter, why don't we dig trenches to escape the bombardment? He said the man looked at him and asked, if you didn't come to die, then why are you here? The cost of commitment among believers is putting our lives on the line for others so that they turn to us and ask, why are we here? Then we have an answer. The Bible said the Lord said to Elijah in 1 Kings 19, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and was plowing. he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. 
and said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back and took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. We see here Elisha, a simple farmer who is suddenly and unexpectedly approached by the famous prophet Elijah and invited to accompany him and serve him as his personal attendant. When Elisha requests time to go to first go home and say goodbye to his parents, Elijah makes it clear that the decision to come is entirely Elisha's to make. He said, what have I done to you? Which means, in essence, what claim do I have on you? And he implied, Elisha applied, none. If I go, it's my decision. If I go, it's my commitment. If I follow you, Elijah, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do what's in my heart and what's with God in my relationship with God. In other words, Elisha is free to stay or to go. But I can assure you, when God calls you, it's in your best interest to go. It is always in your best interest to go. In response, Elisha not only chooses to accept the call, but he slaughters his oxen, feeds them to his neighbors. He burns his plowing equipment to cook the meat. And by doing this, he publicly and irrevocably declares his intention to leave his former way of life and follow Elijah. Joy in Christ requires a commitment to working at the Christian lifestyle. I've never seen in the Bible, we can have some musicians come. I didn't know if I was going to do this tonight or not, but here we are. And you're welcome for the advance notice. However much time it takes you to get from your seat to up here, that's that's your notice. (laughs) I've seen so many people, so many people through the years, so many people through the years. That man, they they come to God, they repent, they get baptized, they're filled up with the Holy Ghost. You see them a few weeks, a few months, you know the story. And you don't see them anymore. They made a decision. But they didn't make a commitment. God is not looking for decision makers. It helps. But that's ultimately not what he's looking for. He's looking for people who will make a commitment. I knew a man a number of years ago when we pastored in Ohio, and I've never forgotten it. When he converted, he became a powerful, powerful preacher. God used him mightily. He opened... He started a church in the Cleveland area way back then, and he did it. His building was literally across the street from a gay bar, and this was years ago. He was a powerful man. But when he converted, when he started going to the church for the first time, the church he started attending was in the middle of a major split. There were people arguing and fussing, and half of them agreed with the pastor, and the other half didn't, that kind of thing. And it got so ugly, the man testified later, that the night I went to the altar 
and prayed through the Holy Ghost. I was sitting in front of a man, Brother Billy, that had a gun in his pocket in case something got out of hand at church. He'd just stand up and take care of it. And it was in that environment that this man not only made a decision, he made a commitment. God launched him into ministry and he witnessed tremendous miracles. I don't know how Elijah thought he was going to find Elisha. I don't know what he thought Elisha would be doing. I don't know if he thought about where Elisha would be at. Would the environment be right? Would they have soft music playing in the background? And Would they have some people come up and sing and prepare that moment and that, that special ambiance, if you will, so that it would help Elisha along in making his commitment. I don't think Elijah gave that any thought. God just said, go find him, go get him. He didn't say nothing to him. He just threw his cloak around his shoulders and started walking away. And Elisha knew immediately. Just let me go tell my folks goodbye. And he took his plowing equipment and turned it into a bonfire and had him a big barbecue and fed his neighbors and said, see y'all later, and he never looked back. He didn't make a decision. He made a commitment. No turning back. No turning back. I want to say to all of us here tonight that salvation comes as a gift. If you'll stand with me tonight. Salvation comes as a gift. Yes, it does. But the joy of salvation demands disciplined action. Notice a screen tonight. There are some people that I know have just enough of the gospel to make them miserable, but not enough to make them joyful. I know a lot of Pentecostals that fit that bracket. They know what, it, what they need to do to be right with God. They just can't do it, so they're miserable. If you'll just go ahead and, and sell out and just say, I'm going to do this, excuse my expression, come hell or high water. I don't care if my daddy likes it, my mama likes it, my kids like it. I don't care about none of that. I know in my heart what I need to do to be right with God. I know what I need to do to be happy in my relationship with God. And man, I'm going all the way. I'm going all the way. There's no turning back. I've come too far for that. John Maxwell said in his book, Be a People Person, he said, Until I am committed, there is a hesitancy, a chance to draw back. But the moment I definitely commit myself, then God moves also. And a whole steam of events erupt. All manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, persons, and material assistance, which I could never have dreamed would come my way, begin to flow toward me, he said. The moment... I make a commitment. Jesus spoke to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but knows not 
that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. So in conclusion tonight, let me ask you a question. What do you need to do? I'm asking everybody this question. What do you need to do to be completely devoted to Christ? You know, I reached a point in my teenage years, again, years ago, 50, where can't the pastor preach something else besides commitment, revival, commitment, revival, commitment, revival, commitment, revival, commitment just hurting, 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 hurting. I told you here a while back that when we sat under Brother Young's ministry, he didn't preach a sermon without the word revival in it. He just didn't. It just, I don't know that it was even possible for him to preach a sermon without the word revival. It didn't matter what subject he was preaching. Revival came in some kind of way. And every time I'd go to the altar, and if I wasn't praying with someone else, I prayed for myself. And I promise you here tonight, I've made hundreds of commitments, tears streaming down my face. God, I will. God, I will. God, I will. I want to tell all of you here tonight, God put that to the test through the years Yes, he has. But I can promise you right now, without the power of God in my life, it's redundant to say I wouldn't be here, and of course I wouldn't be here. But I wouldn't be where I'm at in life either. I wouldn't have the family I have right now. I wouldn't have the kids I have right now. I wouldn't have the grandkids that I have right now. Because God honors commitment. You make a commitment, God will do his part. You make a commitment, God will do his part. It don't matter if you like the pastor or not. It don't matter if the church suits you or not. It doesn't matter if you like the Bible or not. If you make a commitment to Jesus, he's going to honor it. He's going to grab you a hold of the hand and say, welcome to the ride. Because I'm going to take you on the ride of your life. And it's worth every moment, every minute, every time. God has been with me. And the moment I can't wait for when I hear well done thou good and faithful servant so let me ask a few of you here tonight what desires is God calling you to burn as Elijah burned Elisha burned his plowing equipment what is he calling on you to burn either literally or figuratively speaking what escape hatches or exit doors you need to slam shut and padlock them what tangible steps of commitment is God calling you to make today? We have one of our young people here today, one of our young men. I was talking to somebody just this week about him. I'm not going to call his name. But I can see as pastor that God is turning him over, inside out, backwards, upside down, whatever. Comes to the altar and he just cries and sobs and cries and sobs. I know what God is doing. I know what he's doing. I was on a similar path. I know how it feels to go to the prayer room and all you can do is cry. Just cry and your heart burns on the inside. And it's just God's way of saying, if I can get a commitment out of you that you'll never turn back, I'll use you in ways that you never dreamed. No turning back. I know jobs are tempting Marriages are tempting. I got to do what my spouse wants, Pastor. I've heard that before many times. And more than that, I've got to do what my friends want me to do. And I've got to be like the people around me. I've got I've to look a certain way and do a certain thing. And Not in God's economy. 
God don't make duplicates. He's not a Xerox copy machine. He don't just spit out the same person over and over and over. When God lays his hand on you, it's for a special purpose. It's to be called out. It's to be separate. It's to be a part. You, 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 you're just not a part of the friend club anymore. You're not a part of the fan club anymore. And you're, you're not a part of what's cool and what's accepted. But when you get to a point in life kind of where I'm at right now, you look back. And you have to admit that had I not turned, had I not made my commitment, had I turned back, I would not be where I am today in life. So I want to call on Grace Church tonight. Over the past number of years, we've come too far to turn back. But I want to say since the beginning of this year, we've come too far to turn back. It's been really amazing here around Grace Church. Amen. It's not time for cruise control. I had lunch with Brother Dave today. We've been meeting for months, months, months and months. Sometimes two or three times a month. A strategy, a plan. I've referred to some of those meetings and preaching. A strategy, a plan, a strategy, a plan. What can we do? What can we do? I've met with the trustee board members. I've met with some of them. I've, I've met with some of the ministry team guys. I've met with various people. What can we do? What can we do? Pray for pastor. Pray for pastor. When we were leaving the restaurant today, I felt like I was on cruise control. We didn't have nothing to gut out and, and nothing. What are we going to do and how are we going to plan and how are we going to fix and all of that? But I can't get to a point where I'm comfortable. I can't afford to get to a point where I think everything is okay. As wonderful as things are right now in my heart, there's still something pressing and grinding on the inside that says don't even turn back to what it was three months ago, five months ago. Don't go back to here, but keep moving forward. So I submit to Grace Church tonight. I'm coming. We're coming because he's here. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. I feel like somebody can feel me feel the Holy Ghost tonight. I believe somebody can repent of their sin tonight. I believe God can heal somebody tonight. I feel the presence of the Lord in the atmosphere right now. Hallelujah. So while they begin to sing, let's everybody gather up. It's early. You don't even have to look the clock. Just trust me. It's early. Let's gather up tonight and let's determine in our hearts we're going to commit to this. I'm going to give myself to this. For you brought me through. Oh, yes. Y'all sing. Now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. I'm moving forward to follow after you. And now I'm ready oh, yes. for whatever you want to do. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your presence is an open door. We're not turning back. We We're not turning you, back. Lord, We've come too far for that. Praise the Lord. If you feel too, throw your hands up in the air. Your Yeah. Grace has 
Somebody through the Holy Ghost while you're at it. We can see an outpouring of the Spirit here tonight. I see a miracle. Go ahead, somebody. 